And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A and B, your Ohio State podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, how freaked out should people be right now? Can we do it on like a scale from 1 to 10? Yeah, 1, yeah, one to 10 is good. One, okay, to, no. uh, 1 to, oh my god, I can't believe this defense is going to keep Ohio State from winning a national championship again. 6. 6 is, I think 6 is reasonable. Uh, zero, yeah. zero. About not getting to the playoff because I saw some wacky takes on Twitter on Saturday, <laughs> and including one guy who for the last twelve hours has been in my mentions talking about how an Ohio State unbeaten version of itself won't get into the playoff in favor of four one loss teams. And you he's know, still I going. I made some really good points, and I think I'd like to explain to you now why I think the same thing. Bill, I need this podcast <laughs> because I need to talk to someone who's sane because like I'm losing my mind, and no matter what you say, like this person is is absolutely convinced that that's the case, and. I know that losses and weird uh, things that happen in games and whatever have Ohio State fans just kind of delirious, but uh, that would be like a 10 on the freakout scale. I think six is more like cautiously optimistic, but nervous enough to have a rational discussion about it. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. Because there are, there are issues. There are, there are real issues on this defense. It's it's blend of personnel and scheme and I think like inexperience at the in the position of the decision makers, mostly Kerry Combs. But I don't know if all of it's fundamentally broken. And I don't know if in the end it's the thing that's going to keep Ohio State from winning a national championship this year. But it's worth like it's bad. It, like the four hundred and ninety one passing yards that Indiana had on Saturday in a 42-35 Ohio State win, by the way, were, were sh- shocking. Like, I, I thought that Indiana would do some of that stuff. I didn't think they would have, I, was, I think it was five passes of 50 yards or more, or four passes of 50 yards or more. More passes of 50 yards or more than Ohio State's defense allowed all of last year. In one yeah, game. yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And uh, the whole thing, really, when you, like, look at all this stuff is – 
Ohio State's offense, I think, only scored one touchdown uh, for most of the second half, too. So, or yep. did it, you know, and they, the whole thing for me going into the game was how can Ohio State's offense be stopped? And they got stopped. And I don't know. It took, listen, it took the worst game of Justin Fields' college career to make this an interesting dynamic in a game that people had to hold their breath, even if they were, again, one of the situations where I never felt like they were in danger of losing, but still. Um, but also, there seems to be some personnel issues that I'll get into into the secondary. Um, and if they bring that defense with that that defense into the Clemson game <laughs> that we think is going to happen here pretty soon, I think it's going to get ugly. So not ugly in the sense that Ohio State would lose 63-10, to 10, but I don't know how much Ohio State fans want to try to win a game 55-51 to 51 in a mm-hmm. championship game because I don't think Ohio State's defense is equipped to stop anybody right now yeah so it comes at an interesting time the playoff rankings are going to be revealed on tuesday the first batch and i think we'll we'll share some thoughts on that at the end of this episode but let, let's dig in a little bit on on some of the red flags that popped up against indiana um personnel like you said but let's let's start with Kerry combs there was some, some like i think i think a lot of it is over overboard because it's so early he's four games into this but i like get where you're coming from when you watch performance like that is there any concern on your end that he's in over his head? No, I mean, in over his head is something that I think you need multiple weeks uh, of general incompetence to say, and I don't think he's anywhere near that. I think Ohio State's had some breakdowns in terms of miscommunications. There was one big play where a corner thought they were playing zone and they were playing man, and it turned into a – 45 yard gain and it's like stuff like that doesn't really alarm me because they're kids and stuff happens the thing I want to know is whether or not this Ohio State team and the discussion of ruthlessness has what it takes to consider a new defensive lineup uh, in the secondary because Marcus Hooker uh, is overly aggressive and out of position and I don't know if these are things that are are all mental for him or if it's all physical. I, I don't know what it is, but it seems to me that there's a common denominator with some of these big plays and something that has to be done about that. Now, uh, the mark of a true defensive coordinator, A, is good enough to fix those those issues if they are mental and they're all schematic, or B, has to have the balls to change the way things are from a lineup standpoint if somebody can't get it done. So, you know, the, the ruthless discussion that we have about Ohio State is always fun, and Ryan Day has shown – uh, an ability to make tough decisions and not hurt feelings and to hurt feelings if it depends on you know how things go I think we'll be very interested to see how they react to this because the problem here Bill is that this could now be a uh, issue that we put uh, under wraps they stick with the same lineup Ohio State's playing overmatched opponents for the next six you know three games into the Big Ten Championship game I don't even know if Northwestern the team that we're presumably going to have to talk about in terms of who Ohio State's opponent is can expose them any better than Indiana did and then you walk into the playoff with this with this idea that things are fine and then they're really not yeah so the, the thing that I I want to know and and kind of watch is are there going to be a lineup is there going to be a lineup adjustment and you had an interesting tweet about how there's two holes in the secondary and Josh Proctor can only fix one of them why don't you uh take us through that tweet that thought process and from an X's and O standpoint what you think is schematically off with this team uh, I will do that. First of all, you make you make a really good point um, about 
what this might look like the next three weeks and what that might actually mean because we've seen that before. Remember in 2016, the yep. offense was terrible, and then it's like, oh, they put 62 on Nebraska, they put 62 on Maryland, and we're like, oh, it's we're good to go, fix. And then they went to the playoff and didn't score against Clemson. So Illinois is bad. Michigan State is bad. Michigan is bad. It's very possible that Ohio State's defense looks like it has things fixed over the next three weeks or trending in the right direction over the next three weeks. And I'm not saying dismiss that offhand, um, but sort of take it with a grain of salt, I think. I think you got to like really dig down and, and be analytical about it and, and almost digging into minutia a little bit to, to see if it is better, like why is it better? Because simply having better statistics is not going to mean much when they're playing the teams they're about to play. Um, Kerry Combs, to start with the schematic stuff, Kerry Combs I think is struggling a little bit with knowing – what his players do well or the positions that they should be in. I don't think, like comparing it to 2018, I don't think this is quite the same thing because I thought that defense had like underlying structural issues that were manipulated by opposing offenses who like used Ohio State's rules against it to gain an advantage. And I don't really think that's what's happening here. I just think sometimes they have the wrong play called. Um, And case in point, the play you were talking about, Taraja Mitchell is in the game for Pete Werner. Fine, put Taraja Mitchell in the game. He's out wide, and he's he has a responsibility to cover a, a line or running back wide receiver hybrid all the way out extended toward the sideline. And on top of that, he has the the wrong call, so he plays zone. Everyone else is playing man, and the guy runs behind him. Like Taraja Mitchell should not be in that position. Happened later in the game with Baron Browning on the touchdown they scored on fourth down. Baron Browning very similar situation is spread out wide on the same player hybrid wide receiver running back. They run a pick play. Baron Browning has no chance. And Marcus Hooker, on top of that, makes a mistake in the, in the back end, and there's no relief valve there to make up for Baron Browning's mistake. So, like, don't put your linebackers and man coverage on the sideline, I think, is, like, step one. Um, but beyond that, and the personnel stuff you're talking about, Marcus Hooker is is having a hard time. And it's hard, like it's difficult for me sometimes to be, like, very pointed in criticism of unpaid athletes, but... You know, we we all watch the game and we see what happens. So I don't. I think Josh Proctor is an answer for either spot in the secondary that's been a problem right now, whether that's free safety or the slot corner position where he's been rotating with Marcus Williamson. The fact that Marcus Hooker started this year when we thought Josh Proctor would leads me to believe that maybe Josh Proctor was not great in that role in practice. But I'm willing to give him a shot at free safety in a game because what they're doing right now doesn't work. But that only answers one of your problems, and I don't like if he's free safety and Marcus Williamson is your full-time slot corner, I still think that slot corner spot's a, a problem because with some of the things they're doing with that position where they want to bump that guy back and he wants to play split safeties, coverages, like I think Marcus Williamson struggles with that. Um, and the depth at both of those positions is a bunch of freshmen or redshirt freshmen. And I'm not saying they can't be the answer. I would like to see them try, but it's not like it's not like a Brendan White situation, you know, like in 2018 – where Brendan White was, I guess, a, a little more experienced and came in and did, and did well. Like, there's nobody like that behind these guys. It's just like you, it's you thinking that Legend Cavazos is going to be good or Cam Martinez is going to be good. And I'm not saying you're wrong, but it's putting a lot of faith in a guy or guys who have never played before. Well, here's the thing uh, multiple times in the past 10 years, Ohio State has had the uh, hole in the secondary, and multiple times they've put a freshman into that spot. Uh, or a redshirt freshman into that spot late in the season, whether it be a playoff game or in the Big Ten championship game, and it exploded. So, mm-hmm. like, if a guy like Cam Martinez or Legend Cavazos is the uh, answer to this, it has to happen soon because it's not one of these things where, okay, throw him out on the field against Clemson and good luck. And, you know, that kind of was the case last year with Proctor uh, a little bit. 
Um, he played some, but not a ton. Not enough to be uh, in the position that Ohio State is counting on him in the biggest game of the year. And guess mm-hmm. what? It was exposed. He got exploited. And, yep. and that's, and that's kind of how this is, um, you know, a delicate discussion on how to win a national championship. And, you know, I think a lot of times, and we did this this year and we'll continue to do this, but Ohio State has such good personnel that it's so easy to gloss over preseason questions as things that will just get fixed. And I saw a lot of tweeting about Alabama gave up 50 to Ole Miss. Uh, SEC is tough. Ohio State gives up 35 to Indiana and their team sucks. And it's like, that's fine if you want to pretend like nothing's wrong here because it's easy to do that. But there is an issue here. Is it is it fixable? Absolutely. Um, but if it's a personnel problem, then personnel problems aren't fixable. You try to mask them the best that you can. I think that a team can win with some personnel problems when you have an offense like Ohio State's that can score 40 or 50 points in a game. But personnel issues are deep, glaring issues that will be. And it's not a matter of if. It's when they will be exposed when you start playing teams with elite-level quarterbacks. And I'm not saying that Penix isn't one of them. You start playing against Trevor Lawrence. You start playing against Mac Jones. You start playing against Kyle Trask. It's going to be raining back there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever is the issue, this isn't kind of like, ah, it's one bad game. It's no problem. They were up 35-7. Okay, so part of me thinks that. But part of me thinks, hey, we have to address this discussion because it's an important aspect of whether or not this team can win a national championship. Winning the Big Ten, they'll walk through it. I think they'll I think they'll have their way with, with Northwestern with the same level of anal, uh, analysis that we have with this Indiana game. Do I think they can beat Clemson right now? I don't. Yeah, it's hard for me to say that just based off, like, if, if the offense had played better, I think maybe I'd feel differently about that, but Justin Fields coming off his worst game. That was, like, his, his play was really bizarre. We can talk about that in a minute, but um, I think I'm with you. Like I, I think I said last week that I still would pick Ohio State to win the national championship. Um, it's not that I no longer think they're they're or that I think they're incapable now. I certainly think they can still win it, but I would back off of that a little bit because, and people can get mad at me for this, but I guess I wasn't I wasn't appreciating enough just how bad things were on the back end. Although I will I will say this, like I don't I, I always I hesitate hesitate to do this because I don't want it to come off as me making excuses. And Ryan Day did this, and I like kind of rolled my eyes at it. He's like, if you take away the big plays, like you know, we had a good game. I was like, no shit. Um, <laughs> there were five plays of thirty yards or more, and then the rest of the game, Indiana averaged three point five yards per play. And I don't t- I don't tell people that to say like just ignore the bad stuff and only look at the good stuff. But I think that that to me, if it's like five breakdowns led to five huge plays, um, that makes me believe that it's it's a little more fixable. That I think people might be willing to admit right now. I get like watching that to your watching that happen to your team sucks, but I really do think there are some answers to this, and and it, it starts with exploring personnel changes, and that's where the schedule I think is kind of Ohio State's friend. It's like I think you can mess around a little bit when you go in to play Illinois this week. So let's let's assume for a second they're going to they're going to experiment with personnel a little bit. What would you like to see them do on the back end of the defense? In terms of working new guys and how, like, what's the ideal situation look like for you? I feel like sometimes I'm kind of like fans in the sense that I get excited about highly recruited players, um, and I would like to see what one of them have, um, but I don't know if that's the right thing because I'm not a coach and I'm not in practice every day. And the thing that we discussed about Legend Cavazos is. He's a hell of an athlete, but I don't know that he is not raw enough to be in that position. And Cam Martinez, uh, whether or not he was the most underrated player in 2020 or not, 
was a three-star prospect, and there's no Von Bell sitting in the wings waiting. Um, I I think that it seems clear to me that Josh Proctor should be in the game much more. Um, And I know that he does have a pretty large role, and he's in there situationally, but I think that he should be uh, the new safety that they build this team around. And in terms of the other high safety or however else you want to you know get the alignment of this defense I, I think that you need to consider finding a new defensive back whether it be a freshman or somebody who hasn't played all that much maybe give Marcus Williamson a bigger shot for a different alignment I don't know I don't know you're the you're the coach on this podcast <laughs> not me I just know that uh, I, I can diagnose the issue I don't know that I would be the perfect person to ask how to fix it well, the only thing we're, we're basing this off of is like what we thought of guys as recruits because that's the only kind of player we have to talk about right now. They, right. they really miss Cam Brown. Like That Cam Brown injury when he went down against Penn State is way more impactful now than I, than I first realized when it happened because if he were healthy, I think the answer is he plays the slot and, Mark, and Josh Proctor plays free safety. Um, and Marcus Williamson, I think, would be a little better suited to be like the extra guy in when you're playing nickel. But they don't really have that luxury now because Cam Brown's out. Um, I think – as, as much of a problem as it was against Clemson and, and for as bad as he looked in that game, I think I would like to see Josh Proctor get a shot at free safety. And if you put him there, he's super athletic. The thing about Josh Proctor is he's super athletic. He's very explosive. And I, I don't think you'd put him back there and he'd be flawless. I think if you put him back there, he's going to make some mistakes, probably some mistakes that look a lot like the mistakes that Marcus Hooker's making. But I also think that Josh Proctor is fast enough and athletic enough that he's going to erase some of those mistakes. And like it's again, I hesitate to knock Marcus Hooker the way we're doing it, but we got to be honest. If Marcus Hooker makes a mistake, he's not fast enough to make up for it. If a guy gets behind him, that guy's gone. And I think Josh Proctor, we've seen it already. Like Josh Proctor can chase down plays, and you might think like, "Whoa, if a guy gets a sixty-yard gain and you tackle him inside the five-yard line, what difference does that make?" Like it's it's harder. We saw Indiana fumble inside the five-yard line on Saturday. It happens. Um, it's hard to score when you get in a short red area, and, and Josh Proctor, I think, is a guy that, that can chase some of those plays down and, and is willing to do so. So I'd like to see him get a shot at free safety, and then maybe you rotate a little bit with Marcus Williamson. I, I don't Cam Martinez, I guess, would be the guy I wouldn't mind seeing. We haven't seen him at all. Ryan Day keeps mentioning Legend Cavazos. Um, I don't know why that is. Sometimes coaches do that because guys are flashing. Sometimes coaches do that just to make guys feel good about themselves and be happy. I don't know what it is with Legend because we haven't seen him play a snap of, of college football yet. But if Ryan Day is going to keep talking about him, then why not try to throw him into a game against Illinois? And if he went the other way and just played Josh Proctor full-time at Marcus Williamson spot, the guy who was the free safety with the second-team defense and pregame warm-ups on Saturday was Ronnie Hickman. And Ronnie Hickman's interesting because I think if Ronnie had not gotten hurt at the end of his high school career, he would have been ranked in the top 100 prospects coming out of high school. And then if you had a guy with that profile on your roster who has not played yet, I think he'd be the kind of guy fans will be clamoring for to get on the field. But because his ranking fell a little bit, they're not. But I don't, I don't know. Give Ronnie Hickman a shot on the back end. Give Lathan Ransom a shot on the back end. These are two guys who are borderline top 100 prospects. And, and – Marcus Hooker's not getting it done. So, I like, explore all your avenues. When you're playing a team like Illinois, you're favored by 30. Yeah, yeah, and it's just do it as soon as possible. And do you think that the injury to Cam Brown, which was certainly a devastating blow when it happened, is a devastating blow in every sense of the word? Yeah, it really is. I didn't I didn't appreciate it at the time, but, it, like, he's – I was surprised that it, it seemed so clear to them that Seven Banks was the guy to play ahead of him at the other outside corner spot because Seven Banks has had his own struggles too. He's not been quite as bad as, as Marcus Hooker has been um, or even as Marcus Williamson has been at times, but but Seven's struggling a little bit. Um, 
And I'm not so sure that maybe Cam Brown wouldn't have been the candidate. I don't, maybe something happened in the offseason and he had a lingering injury or something that didn't get him on the field um, from the jump. But he'd be a guy – they're very thin there, so he'd be a guy that would provide you some answers and some versatility. And the fact that they don't have him and the only other upperclassman that is even available is Tyreek Johnson who can't get on – if he can't – Tyreek Johnson's not getting on the field now, then like when's he ever going to get on the field? So then it's just all those freshmen we've been talking about. And Ohio State's not supposed to be in a position where it has to rely on true freshmen, but if and when it has to, you know, a guy like Lathan Ransom, who was a pure safety in high school and was rated the way he was, it strikes me as a, a guy that I would want to see in the game. And, you know, that's part of the the way it works when you play at Ohio State. You, you know, you you do the best that you can, and if you if you don't match up to what the expectation is, there's six people behind you that, that can take that spot. And against Indiana, I guess it's – I mean, uh, Illinois, that's the great time to find out what you got back yeah. there. Yeah, it does It does in an odd way set up well for them. I just don't know – what's your gut tell you? Like when this happened in 2018 and, and there were there was deficient safety play, the only reason, if I'm not mistaken, Brendan White got into the game is because I think Jordan Fuller had to sit out for a targeting penalty. Otherwise, I'm not sure if Brendan White would have gotten on there. And he, he kind of shored things up a little bit with MVP of the Rose Bowl. What's your confidence level that they're going to do an honest assessment of this and make a change? Uh, 50%. Yeah. I, I have a hard time going much higher. I, I, I just don't know. Like, we, Ryan, ruthless Ryan Day, we've seen it in recruiting. Um, in the way he builds his quarterback room, I think in the way he calls plays, he's very aggressive. Um, I don't know if we've seen it in personnel decisions just yet, but I think now he needs to be because that free safety position is a problem. Yeah. And the thing that I, I sometimes wonder, too, is that if there's such a clear deficiency uh, to us, how and why it's so hard for the coaches who are in this scenario every single day, you know, it's either this is just the life that you have to live with because this is the best you got, or there's a misevaluation happening. And if you are sitting back talking about how great the coaching staff is a hundred percent of the time, like we do and everybody else does, then to me, it makes me wonder if Ohio state has a personnel problem. And if you have a personnel problem at a place that's recruited this well, it just goes to show you how hard this game is and how, how tough it is to build a roster because you're one injury away. And, and, and truth of the matter is Sean Wade isn't playing all that great either this year. And I know he had a pick mm-hmm. six, and he high-stepped into the end zone, and it was a great moment for him. I'm happy for him and his family. He's not playing nearly as well as they thought that he would. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
he is having a, a real issue in, in one-on-one scenarios, and it's it's interesting. Um, he's he's a big, I thought physical corner, but he's big. He's got really good length, but he seems to have a problem. I don't know if he has like a play strength problem, or it's a technique problem where he when when those jump ball situations happen, he is in the wrong. He's kind of in the right spot, but he's always behind the guy and he's always falling backwards. And it's like I don't like why are you falling backwards. I don't, and he said it when we talked to him two weeks ago, and the way he answered the questions, I thought to myself, like, okay, I think he understands it. But then they had that the last touchdown that Indiana scored was Ty Freifogel, basically just running a fade, and Michael Penix throws it up for grabs, and and Ty Freifogel wins. And there was some grabbing there. I think they were both grabbing. I don't really think it was pass interference on anybody, but Sean Wade thought it was offensive pass interference, and they kind of went to the ground and gave up. Marcus Hooker saw the flag on the ground and kind of gave up and like pointed to the flag, and it ends up being on Sean Wade. Um, there's a lack of physicality on the ball with the secondary and there's too much physicality when they're trying to make tackles and not wrapping people up. There's like a disconnect between those two things. It's like you're aggressive when you're not supposed to be and you're passive when you're not supposed to be. And I don't know why that's happening with this group. Yeah. I didn't think that we would be at this point in the season and have so many head scratching things. And speaking of which, it might be a nice transition to talk about the worst game of Justin Fields career, whether or not he's still the front runner to win the Heisman and what the hell he was doing out there. (laughs) I, he's not the front runner in the Heisman. Did you, I actually took him off my Heisman straw poll. I put him from first to third. I thought that was a bad enough performance in a big enough game that I, I took him off. Yeah. Do you think that he's off permanently? No. Well, they don't have much in the way of marking yeah, games saying. the rest of the way. I guess he can light it up the rest of the year. And, like, the Michigan game's not a big game because Michigan stinks, but a lot of people will still be watching, and then they'll have the Big Ten championship. So I don't think he's eliminated entirely. But I also, when you look at – Mac Jones, Kyle Trask. I put Brees Hall from Iowa State on mine this year. Zach Wilson. Um, I almost put Desmond Ritter on mine. Yeah, I think someone else has been putting him on, on his too. I actually didn't watch the Cincinnati UCF game. He's a, but, he's but a really good player. Yeah, yeah, he is good. Um, I took Justin off, um, and maybe I get like a little uh, wild with that poll sometimes because it doesn't mean anything. It's just um, fine, yeah. Yeah, but, but that was his three interceptions. The first one... The first one, his explanation didn't make any sense because he said he said he thought it was they had a call like it was going to be a two high coverage and then they rolled to a one high coverage. But if you watch the play, like there was a safety in the middle of the field ten seconds before the ball was snapped, like that was single high coverage all the way. And Justin, I think, threw it. There actually was an opening to throw the ball to Garrett Wilson. Justin just threw it late and then he threw it poorly and he led just or led Garrett Wilson right into the safety. And he also didn't use his eyes. Like that's the one thing. If there's anything I'd love to see Justin Fields improve on, it is manipulate second-level defenders with his eyes. He still doesn't do a good job of that, and he did a terrible job of it on that play. Um, but that was one play. The second one, he was just trying to throw it away, and he didn't throw it far enough. He should have made the decision to throw it away sooner. The third one was I actually thought the most problematic because if you go back and watch it, there's, there is a, there's pressure coming, but it's actually blocked really well. And Justin has a very clean pocket, and the play is developing in front of him, and Julian Fleming is going to come open. And we saw Justin Fields do this last year, and we hadn't seen him really do it this year up until this point where he pulled the ball down way too early and started trying to run when there was no reason for him to do that. I don't know if he was seeing ghosts or he thought, like, I'm going to use my legs to make a play, but, like, that was a quarterback who I thought was shook a little bit. Um, And I never thought that we see Justin Fields. Like, the version of Justin Fields we saw for the first three games of this season, I didn't think that guy was capable of being shook, and I thought Indiana rattled him a little bit. Yeah, which is crazy, too, is because we were talking about, well, what would have to happen in this game uh, for Ohio State to be in a position where they could lose. And we, I think you specifically said Justin Fields would have to play uncharacteristically bad 
and turn the ball over in ways that we haven't seen him turn the ball over, and that's kind of what happened. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, what's crazy is that they turned the ball over three times, and Indiana didn't score off any of them. <laughs> and have, hasn't their whole thing been uh, that they uh, that's well <laughs> score they a ton of touchdowns yeah. off of turnovers on short fields? Yeah, like it, it didn't. I guess, like I guess kudos to Ohio State's defense. I think one happened because they dropped the ball on fourth down, um, but otherwise, like Ohio State's defense in sudden change situations was actually pretty good. Um, it was when the game was a blowout and they were playing soft coverage and they couldn't match up. Um, but no, the Justin Fields stuff was weird. He was in a, he was in a bad mood after the game, as you might expect. Um, it's kind of strange because he still had 300 passing yards. He had two touchdowns. I thought he ran the ball pretty well. Um, I also thought like Justin didn't play well. I thought that might have been Ryan Day's worst game as a play caller. Too cute, not running enough. Not running like the run game was was rolling like way more than we've seen it roll in any game this year, but. They they had been so good at these at these play action passes where they get fields out of the pocket and they boot them out and like they weren't doing that stuff, but they were also were like Indiana blitz. This is from Pro Football Focus. I think I have this right. It was I think Indiana blitz. It was like thirty one out of forty two dropbacks. It was almost eighty percent of the time Indiana blitz, which is nuts. Um, and I think it was Master Teague afterwards, just like I never played in the game where teams blitz that much. It was pretty insane how much they were blitzing, but it was also expected because that was their only chance of throwing this offense um, out of rhythm. And Ryan Day, I thought stubbornly so, kept calling those long developing down the field play action shots that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were like, they just weren't going to have the time to do it. Like maybe there were a couple where they had the time and Fields made the wrong read or held it too long or whatever. But but all in all, I thought those were the wrong kind of play calls against that style of defense. And they would have been really well served with a lot of quick game, a lot of screens. And they did it a little bit, but not nearly enough. And I thought like the offense had 607 yards. And they scored 35 points, so this probably sounds crazy given that, but I thought they left a lot of opportunities on the field because of Ryan Day's play calling. Like He never he never seemed to adjust, maybe because he felt like he didn't have to, um, but I would have liked to see him have a better feel for the game and call some different stuff because I didn't think he was putting his quarterback in the best positions. Yeah. You know what's crazy, Bill, is that for the most part of that game, it was a complete and utter dumpster fire for Indiana. Yeah. You know, I mean, we were... They finished with negative one rushing yards. Yeah. I mean, Ohio State, when they went up 35-7, to you know, I was texting friends telling you, I told you to LA the 20. This is a joke. You're going to win 55-17. You're not even going to have to sweat. (laughs) That's what it looked like. And that's what it was, you know. And uh, one big play turned into two big plays, turned into three big plays. And, you know, you put yourself in a position where... um, you're having this discussion. So I don't think there's any part of me that thinks that Northwestern could beat Ohio State. I know that that's like the inkling. I, I saw some chatter on Twitter and, you know, people saying, well, uh, if they don't really get their act together, then Northwestern's more legit than you think they are. And, you know, I don't know. I think they're going to walk into the playoff uh, no problem. What I don't know is uh, whether or not I still view them as the favorite to win the national championship, which I think might be a nice segue into playoff discussion. No. Uh, yeah, too I think soon. we can get there. No, You're no, the no. Host, I think man. we can get there. Um, I was just trying to think. Like, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, we've seen this version of Northwestern before because it's a team that Ohio State played in the 2018 Big Ten Championship. I guess this defense is a little better. Um, but that, like we know, like Northwestern gets gets competent quarterback play. They're gonna be a pretty solid team because they play defense so well and they're well coached. Um, and that as long as they can stay on schedule, move the ball, and score three or four touchdowns, they're going to be in pretty good shape every week. Um, I don't think that's the team that has the athletes. No offense, 
because I know they got bothered by what Joey Galloway said about them uh, this week. And Joey Galloway was out of bounds, I thought, a little bit. But they don't have the athletes to compete with Ohio State. So I wouldn't worry about that. Um, before we talk about the playoff, I wanted to ask you a question. Oh, so I think people are rightfully concerned about the defense moving forward. Based off what you saw yesterday, do you have any concerns about the offense moving forward? Or do you just think it was a weird off game for Justin Fields? I am concerned about the offense's running attack uh, still after the best running game that they've had and that didn't go away for me uh despite the fact that teague has still been very good uh i don't think that the passing attack is something that i would concern myself with yet i think it was weird i think the interceptions were weird if it happens again then you start worrying about it i think weird games happen he's a college kid he's human you know all the things i don't know that i am really that far off of Justin Fields as otherworldly good. And I think that you'd have to like second guess how good you think he is if you wanted to worry about the passing game, and I think it's premature to do that. I think that the biggest questions about this team are the biggest questions about this team coming into the weekend. It's just they're more – one wasn't glaring at all. One was actually an improvement in the running game, and one was uh, a disaster. I think Justin needs to be a little more willing to take checkdowns. Um and that was something I think he struggled with last year, too, and then seemed to get better with over the course of the year. I mostly think he had been playing so well, completing 80% of his passes, or almost 90% of his passes, um, hadn't thrown an interception, like was basically doing whatever he wanted against three teams that weren't very good. And then he played a fairly confident, competent defense that was like going crazy blitzing him and pressuring him and he thought you know like, i'm gonna make i'm gonna make plays i'm gonna make plays i'm gonna make plays and he put himself in some tough spots i think if you go back and i'm gonna do this later in a week um like a little bit of a film study on on the pressure they're allowing why they're allowing it and like what they can do to mitigate it but i think one easy one can be like if you watch some of those plays the tight end is just there like dump it down to the tight end for five yards you don't have to throw the ball to chris olave and garrett wilson on every single play and i think he's caught in that a little bit right now well because they're so open all the time <laughs> <laughs> but they weren't. They weren't, well, I guess that's true. Um, they are open. They were pretty open. Um, yeah, and I would I would throw the ball to them too. But um, I think it's like those two guys have like sixty percent of his targets right now. Maybe it's more than that. Um, and that's okay. I think that's fine. But in this particular game, I thought they were, he was looking for those guys a little too much when there were easy yards available. If he would just check it down to a tight end or throw the crosser to Julian Fleming earlier, give it to Jamison Williams a little bit more. I think he's got to build some more trust with his other weapons. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson make make things go, and they're going to be what ultimately decides whether or not they're going to win a championship or not. But Justin Fields would benefit himself and the offense greatly if he shows teams he's willing to spray it around a little bit and involve some other guys. Yeah, I agree completely. Okay, playoff talk. Yep. First playoff rankings come out on Tuesday. Um, the playoff committee on Sunday – I think I should share this before we talk about it. Uh, went out of its way to release a document of frequently asked rankings questions. And the first question was, uh, how will the first selection committee ranking consider the disparity in the number of games between top teams? By November 24th, Clemson, for example, is scheduled to have played nine games, while Oregon is scheduled to have played three. And Ohio State, obviously, uh, has played four. Uh, the answer to that question was there's no minimum game requirement to be eligible for the college football, football playoff. The selection committee's job is to select the top four teams beginning November 24th and continuing through the final rankings on December 20th. The number of games and wins by each team is certainly important in weighing its ranking, but it is not the only factor. And I took that as prepare yourself for Ohio State and Oregon to be in the top 10 on Tuesday. Yeah, and I think that's good. I, I think that the teams 
who should be in the top 10 on Tuesday are the teams that have done what they can within their own control to put themselves in a position to be thought of as alive in the playoff hunt. And the rankings, I guess, are, are quasi supposed to be uh, an indication of how good teams are in, in order because <laughs> that's what rankings are. But I also look at the playoff a little bit differently. I look at the playoff as the teams with the highest probability of potentially making the playoff. Can those two things be different? It's like Oregon might not be as good as even a Cincinnati or might not even be as good as a Florida. But I wouldn't be opposed to the idea of them being ranked ahead of those teams in the initial college football playoff rankings, despite the fact that they're 2-0 and and despite the fact they almost lost to UCLA on Saturday because they might have a higher probability at the end of the discussion to make the playoff. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Oregon will be in the back end of the 10 or the back end of the top 10. I think USC might be in the, the, the back end of the top 10 or top 12, and Indiana, with one loss, might actually be ranked higher. I think the mm-hmm. committee's going to like Indiana. But to me, I think that this ranking and the way that I would do it if I were making my own rankings is which teams have the best chance to make it or are the best teams in position to make it. And there is a lot of dreck in the top 15, and there's only really, what, seven or eight teams that actually have a real chance of making it? Yeah, seven, uh, eight, I, I mean, ten, I just to rounded out, maybe. Yeah, like like nine or ten. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the the obvious question here, Bill, is: Do you want to go down and reveal our top four, uh, the way we want, the way we think it should be, or the way we think it's going to be? Uh, let's do both to see if there's any discrepancy there. Um, I'll go for because there's really only one small difference. If I were ranking it, I think I'd put Notre Dame first because I do think that they have the best win in the country and they're undefeated. And I understand that <clears throat> DJ Uyunglele played in that game and Trevor Lawrence did it. DJ's really good. <laughs> like DJ is probably like one of the ten best quarterbacks in college football. He just happens to be a backup right now because he's behind the best quarterback in college football. But that wasn't like a, a pushover because Trevor Lawrence didn't play. DJ threw for like four hundred yards in that game. Um, so that is a very legitimate win in my mind, and I think it's the best win anybody has. So I'd put Notre Dame one, Alabama two, Ohio State three, and Clemson four. But I think it's actually going to be Alabama one, Notre Dame two, Ohio State three, and Clemson four. That's what it's going to be. And I want to ask you this: Do you think? Notre Dame's win over um, Clemson is more impressive than cumulative body of work from Alabama. Yep, I, I think it. Yeah, don't and know I, if I agree I, with that. I I think I err toward that. I think I err toward like best win. All other things being equal, I think I err, err toward best win this early in the process, and then at the end of it, like with Alabama, which has beaten Texas A and M and Georgia. Um, and we'll get at least one other quality win against whoever it plays in the SEC championship. Um, would have a stronger argument. I don't know. I also don't do the thing where I just assume like teams are solid because they're from the SEC. Like I don't know. Like is te- is Texas A and M is like, is a combination of playing Texas A and M in Georgia like better than playing Clemson. I don't know if it is. Yeah, I don't know if I'm just. I just don't know if I'm with you on. Uh, DJ Ungolay is very good. I'm not with you on the fact that it's not. I mean, that it's fine and everything was normal. Like, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft, man. Like, I, I, I know that. I'm like, not saying it's the same thing, but I don't I, think there's I, enough of I don't think there's enough of a drop-off between the two that you just dismiss that win. Oh, I'm not dismissing it. I think that it's depleted. And if Texas, Do you think it's not the best win in college football? 
Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess right now on paper it is because it's the highest ranked team to lose. So um, I guess you could also factor into like Clemson was down. They had like defensive, three defensive, defensive linemen out of that two, game. Right? Yeah, and like yeah. Notre Dame was able to run over them. And the thing about this that I'm excited about is that we're going to get to see them play again probably. So right. I don't know. It kind of sucks for Notre Dame because beating the same team twice in the same season is impossible anyway just because it's just a tough thing to do. Um, But, you know, Texas A&M beat Florida, and given the fact that Florida is what it is right now, that might be one of the more impressive wins in college football. I think you put that in there. And, you know, Alabama undressed Texas A&M. So I – 52 to 24. So – you know, I, I don't know if we're splitting hairs a little bit. Uh, maybe we are, and we'll get the answers to the questions that we're getting. Um, but I think that Ohio State should be three and will be three. Um, in terms of who's number one and number two, um, it's going to be a big deal for one of them at the end of the year. But right now, uh, like like we know, uh, as things continue to be released and context and wins continue to pile up, we'll have a better context of how things should be in three or four weeks from now. Yeah, I, I do think it'll be at Bama Notre Dame, and if that's the case, and I think that's fine. I think I've actually kind of talked myself out of Notre Dame being number one now in the last five minutes. Um, if Notre Dame plays Clemson in the ACC championship and beats them again, I think they'll be number one. Um, and Bama over Bama. Two. Yeah, I think if they beat full strength Clemson in the ACC championship game, I think they would be beating Clemson twice in one year. I don't like I, even if that even when you factor in that Clemson was shorthanded in the first game, like beating that team twice in one year is pretty impressive. Yeah. I think more impressive like I don't Georgia is fine. The problem with Georgia is like JT Daniels look really good this week and they might start to turn things around and become a pretty good team. But I would hope that people understand in the end that like that's not the team that Alabama beat. If that if that's a team moving forward that has competent good or borderline good quarterback play or even something better than that, that's not the team that Alabama beat. Um but I don't know if the people in that room will think of things that way. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Well, let's go down the list of uh, of teams that are still alive in the playoff. Um, Alabama's alive, right? Yes. Notre Dame's alive. Yep. Ohio State's alive. Mm-hmm. Clemson's alive. Mm-hmm. Florida's alive. Texas A&M, I actually, uh, we were talking about this on a Google podcast that we did to promote this podcast, and I said Texas A&M's alive. I don't know that they are, actually. Now, They're I've in an interesting th- spot. Like, would they would they be alive if they don't lose the rest of the way and are a one loss team that doesn't play in its conference championship game because it lost to Florida? It's like the only thing that they can hope is that Alabama beats the crap out of Florida in the SEC, and they were fortunate enough to not have to play a big game, so they get to go into as the fourth spot. Right. Like, I I just feel like like walking in that way is such a bush league way of doing it, especially considering the fact that in your biggest game, I mean, I guess your second biggest game. Or you had two big games. You beat Florida. You get credit for that. But when you played Alabama, you lost by a hundred. Like I just, I don't know. I, I, it's not a very compelling case for me. So I think technically they're still alive, Bill. Yeah. I just wouldn't put them in. They um, have three games left. Uh, LSU, who stinks. Um, Auburn, who's currently ranked, but plays Alabama this week, uh, and Tennessee. So what if Auburn were three? To, if Auburn if Auburn upsets Alabama in the Iron Bowl this week, and then. Texas A&M were to come back around and beat Auburn, then that becomes an impressive win for them too. So they'd be yeah. alive. They're alive. Yeah, they're alive. Uh, Cincinnati is alive, technically. Yep. BYU's alive. BYU, um, by the way, uh, according to our, our buddy Bruce Feldman, the Apple Cup this week was uh, canceled, I think, because of some stuff going on at Washington State. And Washington, as we recorded this on Sunday night, is looking at maybe scheduling BYU. I, will, I hope that that happens. Yeah, me too. Um. Oregon is alive at three and zero. Northwestern is alive at five and zero. USC is alive at three and zero, and I think that's it. Yeah, Miami is not. Uh, just say Northwestern, who's yeah. still unbeaten technically. Um, that means they're eleven. Yeah, everyone else got has two losses. Um, I didn't count Coastal Carolina because I don't think they are. Go fancy uh, chickens. Marshall's undefeated still. Um, Wisconsin has the one loss, but they need help now that they've lost to Northwestern to get to the Big Ten Championship, and I still, like, I don't really think Wisconsin's alive. No, they're um, not. Yeah, that's kind of it. Tulsa? Uh, I don't know. Big I think, it, I think it's those Tulsa 11. Over the weekend. Yeah, that yeah. was great. Uh, pretty crazy stuff happened in that game. But, yeah. you know. No, 11, like 11 teams, and that's, like, really stretching it. Yeah. Yeah, and More that, that includes like five or six. That teams. includes two group of five teams, right? And also in that group of of teams that are still alive, there are still like five head to head matchups amongst those teams. So you know it, it's kind of getting now to the point where uh, a lot of these teams are just going to waltz into the playoff. Uh, but I don't know who the fourth team is. I think it'll it'll be Clemson, right, on Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean Clemson will be number four. Is there um, any chance they put a Florida or A&M in that spot? Yeah, of course. I guess that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Cle- the, me. the problem about it is that Clemson hasn't played in like a month. <laughs> so, yeah. have they even played? They haven't played since they lost to Notre Dame. So, like, the last they have not. The last piece of 
information that you have about Clemson as a loss. So it would not surprise me if uh, Florida, you know, were to move into that spot, uh, especially now that they're sitting at six and one. Their only loss, uh, as much as their, uh, you know, schedule still has. I mean, I guess the marquee win for Florida is Georgia, but they've lost to, to Texas A and M. Their best, they've got the best loss. Um, no, actually, Clemson has the best loss. They just don't have any quality wins. So I'm very curious to see more so than anything how this team and committee. I mean, this team ranks commit. This committee, excuse me, ranks teams that haven't played very many games. Yeah, Clemson's win of note is Miami, which hasn't lost since it lost to Clemson, but it also really hasn't played anybody because the ACC is pretty bad. Um, Miami, since losing to Clemson, has beat Pittsburgh, Virginia, NC State, and Virginia Tech. Uh, had its game this week against Georgia Tech postponed. So I don't know. Miami is top 10 in the AP poll. I don't know if Miami is going to be top 10 in the playoff rankings. Um, so that might ding the quality of Clemson's best win a little bit. Um, and certainly, even if that is Clemson's best win, like A&M's best win is better than, better than Clemson's best win. Yeah. And Florida, I think Florida's best win is probably better than Clemson's best win, right? Georgia's better than Miami. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it's possible that Clemson is not in, among the top four. Oh, let me ask um, you one more that we we didn't ask, Bill. Is Oklahoma alive? Um, I don't think so. Not not with two losses. I know they've played well um, lately, and their defense looks to have things in shape a little bit. And they won Bedlam, but Oklahoma State I don't think was as good as people were making it out to be either. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't think they're alive. I guess they could be helped by a little bit of chaos. Um, they beat an okay Texas team in overtime and they beat an overrated Oklahoma state team in their rivalry game. They, they crushed them, but I, I don't think they're alive. Do you? Uh, I don't, I think it'll be something fun to yell about. Uh, I don't think that there's actually an application to put them in. I would put uh, one of those group of five teams in over uh, BYU, especially if BYU goes out and beats Washington in that fake scenario that could happen. Um, I don't know that uh, Oklahoma has enough to do it, but it will be interesting because now Texas is back in the top 20 probably with at a 5-2 and two clip and have won three in a row. Um, you know, they didn't play Kansas this weekend. Who cares? They're playing Iowa State on Saturday. If you get these two teams, Oklahoma and Texas, playing for the Big 12 championship game, you might put yourself in a position where we can start trying to talk ourselves into the big 12 being a real a real uh potential you know playoff contender but i just don't know um if two losses is a thing that's going to happen especially i guess in a weird year like this but maybe the weirdness is why it would i have no idea i think that they are one percent alive yeah they're i guess they're not totally dead but i would not i would not include them yet in the group we discussed previously unless some chaos happens for a two loss team to actually be considered um do you? I think you and I both agree that in an odd way, Ohio State is going to be helped by how tough Indiana played them because the committee is going to like Indiana, and I think Indiana, like at worst, is going to be like eleventh or twelfth. Um, but I still think there's a chance that Indiana is in the top ten. Do you think there's any chance that Ohio State's not in the top four on Tuesday? And if so, like why do you? What do you think the reasoning for that would be? That would mean that a, a uh, group of five team would be ranked ahead of them, um, or a one loss team. Yeah, like would they? I don't think there's a chance of that. I don't think there is either. I think it's possible that Ohio State's fourth. Um, 
but I'd be pretty shocked that they put one of these SEC teams that have played two or three more games in Ohio State and have a loss ahead of Ohio State. Yeah, it's going to be um, definitely interesting to see in terms of extent of resume and how that kind of puts in into perspective. I just don't know that there's any compelling case that you can make to put Ohio State outside of the top four or how you could – I mean, it'd be a head-to-head matchup with Notre Dame. I mean, uh, excuse me, Clemson, right? And I don't know – coming off of a loss if Clemson's best argument right now is is that. So um, I don't think they'll be out of the top four. I think it's possible they could be four. Um, I don't think Oregon, USC, or anybody else is going to be ranked ahead of them in terms of the Pac-12 undefeated teams. I think that three is basically like almost guaranteed in my mind. What do you think the, the, the most frustrating part about the playoff um, reveal is that they like claim to be transparent without actually being transparent at all. And you get on the conference call um, with who's the chair this year, the Iowa AD, right? Gary Barta. Yep. Um, he's new. So maybe he'll be different, but you try to ask questions to gain insight and you don't get any, you just get talking points that are vague. So if we can like try to step beyond that, like what do you think the discussion of Ohio state is going to be this week on Tuesday? Like among those people, do you think, they're just going to say Ohio State is who we who they always are. They're very talented. They're most talented most talented team in the Big Ten. They're a top three talented team in the country. They've been a little inconsistent, but like we trust them. Or can they look at Ohio State and say like you know what that team struggles to put teams away and their defense looks very leaky and I'm a little unsure about them in a way that could knock Ohio State down a peg or two when they when the rankings do come out on Tuesday night. I think Ohio State is going to be one of the teams in the Big Boys Club and. Until yeah. they lose a game, I think it's going to be hard to get them out of there. I think that we are probably more critical of Ohio State than the committee is. I think that the people in the committee room might watch and see 35-7 and go, oh, who cares what happens at the end of those games? That you know They took their foot off the gas. I think it's very simple. If Ohio State is an unbeaten team and flashes that brilliance offensively, um, I don't think there's really anything that can take them out of the uh, Alabama-Clemson Ohio State club, and I don't even think Notre Dame's in that club. So, um, you know, I, I think that if if people are on the committee are looking at defensive statistics and seeing that, you know, there's some leaking on the back end or, you know, Ohio State has been allergic to blowing teams out, I guess that's all true. But I don't think we've seen very much evidence in the past, not even just with Ohio State, but other elite-level teams, that they penalize teams for not winning sexy. I think that as long as they win and they look good doing it for the most part, and I think Ohio State did look good doing it for the most part uh, until the end, they're they're still going to continue to be uh, looked upon favorably. What if Indiana falls off now? Indiana plays Maryland, Wisconsin, and Purdue, and a team to be determined later in that championship weekend. Um, I think Indiana is very much a top 15 team. I think, like I said, they have a chance of being a top 10 team. And it has a chance to get a good win still against Wisconsin, uh, at least I think in the eyes of the committee. But if like this was their Super Bowl and they lost kind of in heartbreaking fashion and they start having emotional letdowns and like drop one of these games, how detrimental is that to Ohio State's cause given that the schedule is not very good? You know, I don't think it is, Bill. I mean, if, if, the, if the question is how much does Ohio State need to rely on Indiana to be ranked high – uh, I think that that's kind of funny. Um, here's the thing, and we talked about this a little bit. Being the number one seed is going to matter again, I think. Um, maybe it won't. I don't know. Uh, it seems right now that it will matter because uh, playing whoever that fourth team is is going to be a nice little advantage, and Ohio State got a nice test, a taste of how important seeding can matter in the playoff last year. 
I just don't know with Michigan being as bad as they are and Penn State being as bad as they are if Ohio State has the tent pole game that we talked about last week to prop them up resume-wise to put them in the number one spot if there's other unbeaten Power 5 teams. Yeah. You know, it might look nice, and maybe their path to being the number one seed is um, Florida beating Alabama in the SEC championship game and Clemson beating Notre Dame, so they're the only unbeaten team. Um, But then at that point, they could still get matched up with – uh, Alabama or Florida in the first round of game and the seeding might not matter as much as it would um, you know th- what you want is Ohio State to be matched up with whatever overmatched fourth seed is as the number one seed and I don't know if there's a path for that so right now yeah. to me it seems like the way thing is setting up Alabama runs the table their number one seed as the SEC unbeaten champ and again anything can happen but that's the way it seems to be setting up right now and then two Ohio State or three Ohio State will have to face whoever wins the ACC championship game uh, in the first round of the playoff and that will probably be Clemson and you're like looking down the barrel of the gun again and that's kind of like the way it seems to be setting up right now yeah it feels like we're we're on a Ohio State Clemson semifinal collision course um not it's not like a guarantee but it feels like the most likely scenario which i would i'd love to see those two teams play each other in a national championship but i mostly just want to see them play again um and i think ohio state wants to play them again um although maybe shore up that defense a little bit before (laughs) before you get to that game um but i do think like that's the motivation for all these guys that came back this year it's like they thought they were better than clemson last year and they lost that game because of mistakes they made and they think they were shorthanded by the officials as well um they want redemption against clemson i think ohio state's better than clemson right now do i think ohio state is better than clemson right now um yeah, yeah. I think if they were meeting on a neutral field, I'd pick Ohio State to win right now. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know that I'd be. I, I think the only team I wouldn't pick them to beat is um, Alabama right now. And even they gave them 48 points to Ole Miss. So, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I think that all the teams that were in last year's playoff, I think maybe Alabama's a little bit better than they were last year. But mm-hmm. I think Ohio State is worse than they were last year, and I think Clemson is worse than they were last year. Yeah. I think I think that's all true. Um, I also would not pick Ohio State to beat Alabama at the moment, um, but I can certainly have my mind change. But I don't think Trevor Lawrence is great. Um, I don't think the skill and Travis Etienne is great, but I think the skill on the outside, the stuff that really gives Ohio State problems, it's not there right is now. Not, is not yeah. is not as dynamic at Clemson as it is at Alabama. Also, I watched Notre Dame beat Clemson up and down the field on both sides of the ball uh, in the line of, line of scrimmage. Yeah, they me, looked a little bit up front. That, that to me. That's what translates, and Clemson was missing a few guys and on the defensive line. I get it, uh, but you know what travels, and travels is your ability to uh, you know, beat people up front, and right now I'm not necessarily sure that's what's happening. Yeah, and I actually thought, like it'll sound crazy in a game where Justin Field got sacked five times. I actually thought the offensive line wasn't that bad against Indiana. They were in some really tough spots against all that blitzing and certainly had some breakdowns on those sacks, but the run blocking I thought was great, the best it's been all year. Um, granted, against an Indiana defensive line, that's not that's not really anything to write home about. But I actually thought that that was probably the best the offensive line played all year, um, at least for a full game. They were really good in the first half against Penn State, and not so much in the second half. But for a full four quarters, I thought that was like the most consistent they were over the course of four quarters. Which, like, I don't know, that might mean nothing against the Indiana defense. But I thought it was a step forward for them, a step forward for the running game. Even if I think questions about that are still fair. Um, defense is uh interesting but i'm not i'm not like so far gone that i think that this season's off the rails now because of the way the defense played against indiana 
I agree with you. I, I Listen, winning a national championship is putting yourself in a position to get on the field and see what happens. <laughs> you know, I think Ohio State yep. is basically a free pass on its way to the playoff. And then, you know, once they get matched up with whoever they're matched up, you know, you re-break it down and all that stuff. But, you know, in terms of, like, off the rails for the season, I think you go in uh, optimistic still. You, you're optimistic that you have the personnel. You have the coaching staff to, that can put this team in the best position to win. And you have to feel good about the fact that this team is basically unbeatable. Well, they're going to be 28 or 30-point favorites for every game for the remainder of the year. And that's not an exaggeration. Yeah, they will be. I think it, yeah, it'll be thirty. It's you, thirty this week. Yeah, thirty this week. It'll be thirty, I think, against Michigan State. Um, I think it'll be something close to that against Michigan, unless Michigan like found something with Caden McNamara and like we're doing a thing. Like Michigan finally well, found his quarterback. It's like oh well, he should have started. Finally found their quarterback. In my opinion, right. I mean, I don't know why yeah. he didn't start the game against Rutgers, but, uh, but I don't know. Like they're not gonna they're not gonna turn things around in a way that Ohio State's gonna be favored by anything less than three touchdowns in that game. Yeah. Um, and then I think it'll be much of the same in the Big Ten Championship. If it's Wisconsin, somehow, maybe it's a little closer. But if it's Northwestern, I think Ohio Northwestern has to lose twice for Wisconsin, right? Yeah. Right. So did you see the rest of their schedule? They're not losing once. Yeah. Oh, the Big Ten West is a gauntlet, man. Yeah. Well, the oh, Big Ten West sleep. is bigger than the Big Ten East. We, I'll, I'll give right. you that. Who would have thought? Who would have thought coming into this year? Um, yeah, but they're going to be favored by at least three, if not four touchdowns in every game the rest of the year yeah. until until they get to the playoff, assuming they get there. The Big Ten West is, is also home to the most tortured fan base in college football. So, Who's that? Nebraska. Oh, God. What Illinois did to them. Yeah, was, it's just like I, it's almost to the point now where it's not funny. Like It's just I feel I, I feel uh, terrible for those people. I felt bad. Indiana, or Illinois felt bad. They deleted the tweet. Yeah, that was um, such a Bush League move to delete it. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. I, did that like Omaha World Herald reporter that tweeted – uh, Scott Frost yeah. was complimentary of Lovey Smith all week, and this is the th- thanks he got. <laughs> like Lovey Smith that... wrote the tweet. Like, yeah, like, I know. Like, come how, on, yeah. we know how this works. Oh, it's funny. Uh, for anybody who wasn't aware, Indi- Illinois tweeted after the game like, "Thanks Nebraska for bringing, bringing Big Ten football back after Illinois kicked Nebraska's ass." Yeah, um, there's no team. Not- I played the game with Andy Staples, and I went down the list of all the teams with tortured fan bases right now, and there's no team. That has a more tortured fan base. You want to play that game real quick? Because I like playing the same game with you and him, and I don't answer. You answer. Oh, I don't. I, I mean, tortured. I'm sure, Ohio, I'm sure Ohio State fans feel that they're tortured. Oh, uh, but they're not. F- yeah, I almost dropped an F on there. Yeah, they're, they're not, not tortured. <laughs> Penn, uh, Penn uh, no, State. It's Nebraska. It's ne- Who's more tortured? Let me see if I can top Nebraska for in your mind. Real okay. Quick. Okay. Penn State. No. No. Michigan. Uh. No, sure I think there's that? a segment. There's a segment of the Michigan fan base that I think is more tortured, but the average Michigan fan, I think, is not more tortured than the average okay. Nebraska fan. Uh, Texas, maybe Texas. <laughs> I think I still pick like uh, no. Uh, Texas is a good one. I think I still pick Nebraska. Yeah, I mean Nebraska is going to be tough to beat, but like I like yeah. even through like like. Um, Wisconsin in there, like right when they just started getting excited and it felt like things were different, it just like reverted back. But yeah, okay. I don't know. If Wisconsin beats them. I don't think they do. Here's another one: USC. I don't know if they care enough. Three and zero. I guess they're not tortured yet, but they drop another game and they're back to you know whatever. Uh, Tennessee. Oh, maybe Tennessee. Yeah, Tennessee is <laughs> Tennessee is a good one. Because <laughs> it's like it's it's the, the to get there you have to 
you have to factor in like there are realistic expectations and then there are pie in the sky expectations from the fan base and i think both of those fan bases have them and because they have them and no. like, they're never gonna they're never gonna get there i think you could make the argument that nebraska has done a much better job rejiggering how they view their program than tennessee yes yeah like t- like the they're thing that well sucks adjusted. about nebraska is that it feels hopeless and whenever you get to a hopelessness stage that's the worst part of being a fan but tennessee thinks they're bama still right right no i think tennessee is more tortured than nebraska and it might be their fault but you know south carolina is also in the mix there yeah and arizona nobody cares about arizona but they're also hopeless so uh but the fact of the matter is, is you have two or three major contenders for the hopelessness crown, and they're all in the Big Ten. But Ohio State is not one of them. And if you which, act like you are, get a hobby. Yeah, yeah. It's it could be much worse. Ohio State fans. I know you don't like giving up 500 passing yards to Indiana. Nobody does. Um, but you could be Nebraska. Uh, okay, let's wrap up there. That's there the name was, of the show, Bill. <laughs> you could be Nebraska. <laughs> Can that be the name of the show, John? <laughs> We'll uh, we'll wrap up there. There was uh, recruiting news between our last podcast and this podcast. It's big recruiting news. Ohio State got Quinn Ewers. I think later this week we will dedicate a majority, if not all, of that show to recruiting because they're playing Illinois. And who wants to talk about that? So Agreed. look forward to that. <laughs> look forward to that later this week. We'll talk about Quinn Ewers' 2021 class, which signs in, in a little less than a month. Um, 22. Thank you. 21. He's in 22. Yeah, signed yeah. The 21 class. In a yeah. Month. Okay. Yeah, just wanted to make of, sure. There's, there's a lot of a lot of balls in the air. Um, We'll talk about all of it uh, later this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of 46 with A&B. If you like what you heard, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. Subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com, slash 4-6. Ohio State, Illinois, on Saturday. Catch the fever. We'll talk to you guys later in the week. Mm-hmm.